Welcome to Pod Parks, a podcast for the park-minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. In this podcast, we'll embark on a journey through the world of parks, from intimate community parks to sprawling urban national parks and everything in between. Join us as we explore the beauty and diversity of these urban oases. Meet the individuals and organizations working tirelessly to preserve and improve them. Our guide will be Alice Landin, Research Development Advisor for World Urban Parks. So come along as we rediscover the green spaces that make our cities livable. Welcome back to Pod Parks. I am so excited to be here with you. Before we begin, I just want to thank you all for the love and support that you have given Pod Parks in our first five episodes. In this month alone, we've had over 500 listeners from over 30 countries. And a lot of you have reached out through the reviews, through social media, or the member platform. And I just want to reiterate that your comments mean the world to us. We're a small and scrappy team doing our very, very best to produce insightful content that is educational, inspiring, and entertaining. So all of your feedback and all of your comments are really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And why are we talking about parks anyway? What's the deal with parks? We've discussed how public spaces have evolved through history to delight, educate, improve our health, relieve stress, or even control people. And it's undeniable that parks today play a crucial role in societies. And that is precisely what we're going to explore today. Well, I think I always loved parks. I remember when I was little, I used to live in a very busy street. So I didn't have the opportunity to go out and just say, I'm going to grab my bike and go to the streets because there were so many cars. This is Mayu Ferrufino, executive director of Fundación Parque Cusatlán from El Salvador. And uh, um, like few years from um, that time, they funded this uh, park like a block away from my house. And it changed everything. Like uh, I, I explored this space with such liberty and uh, the big trees and the big fields were so important to me. And I think I remember that feeling with so much nostalgia. And I think um, this should be available for everyone. Mayu, like a lot of people today, grew up without access to healthy public spaces around her. And her discovery of what a good park system could look like gave her this newfound love and led her to become a park professional and to eventually lead one of El Salvador's largest and most iconic parks. And Mayu is not alone in this quest. Parks today have a bigger role than ever before, and their direct impact in the communities that surround them is growing every day. So let's talk about this big role of parks. Now granted, this whole podcast is a love letter to parks, and I am definitely not about to dump all of the information in the world to you in a 30-minute episode. We're going to have plenty of time to dig into the details, big and small, that make parks so magical. But let's let's lay the groundwork. Why should we invest in parks? Well, for starters, in modern cities, 
they have become people's backyards. You know, many people are blessed to live in homes that have, you know, some sort of a backyard space. So places where you can be outside in your home, you can relax, you can play, you can have people over. This is AP Diaz, superintendent of Seattle Parks and Recreation. But we have to remember that large parts of our society um, live in spaces that do not have access to outdoor space within their own dwelling, whether they live in an apartment, a busy portion of the city, um, a crowded area, or perhaps just a tiny home uh, that doesn't offer much outdoor space. For a good portion of my life, I was one of those people. My family lived in a small duplex, and the backyard was completely covered in concrete. But I never really noticed my lack of backyard because we lived two blocks down from a park with the biggest Montezuma cypresses, Aguaguetes, I had ever seen. These parks, our parks, serve as people's backyards, yeah. and they are gathering spaces for the community. They are where people celebrate their most joyous occasions, like birthdays and weddings. Um, they're where people go to have serious conversations sometimes about life um, with a partner, uh, to figure out things. They are where people go to contemplate, to take breath, um, and also to have fun. And all of those things are important to human beings, to our wellness. AP has garnered a catchphrase in the public service world, often repeating that, quote, parks are essential infrastructure just as important as bridges or highways. And we've seen over the centuries-old story that this phrase is more than true. Parks are extremely important in ensuring the quality of life of communities. And they should become, if they haven't already, part of expected public expenditure. For starters, parks are some of the only truly public gathering places where people can come together without having to pay for access. Unlike a restaurant or a mall or a movie theater, you're not expected to get out your wallet and spend in a park. Parks are accessible to everyone, and they've become the reflection of communities and identities life together. Now, the Victorian elite might have had some mixed intentions in all of their work promoting public green, but their hypotheses were in many cases very true. Access to parks and recreation opportunities has been strongly linked to more cohesive communities, to lower rates of crime, and an increase in all-around safety. And having access to open green spaces has proven to have tangible health benefits in communities around the world. Parks are critical for, you know, they, they, anecdotally they say half an hour spent in a green space is good for our mental health. So get out in the green space every day and, and it helps improve our mental health. And of course walking in the park or running, jogging, cycling is good for our physical health. This is Tim Geyer. Tim has been nurturing the relationship between World Urban Parks and the World Health Organization, who have centered part of their latest research into the relationship between the built environment and health. Now, these experts have noted that many of the preventable diseases that are common in cities today, such as cardiovascular diseases, mental illness, type 2 diabetes, and cancer, are related to lifestyle factors like stress and physical activity. As Tim notes, 
access to green urban spaces can help address these causes of causes, if you may, these preventable factors, and treat these things in a preventative manner instead of after they've already appeared in the population. There is definite proof, and the World Health Organization researched 11,000 papers and proved that green space has a positive impact on our, on our mental and physical health. Tree cover also uh, decreases your um, susceptibility to um, diabetes, type 1 diabetes and um, heart disease. And again, it's because you're living a less stressful life. Tim is referencing a WHO report that reviewed all of the existing evidence on the health effects of green spaces in urban areas. I'm going to make sure to link the report in the episode notes so that you can access it. But here are some of the results. Contact with nature improves relaxation and reduces stress. And it promotes social interactions with people from your community that you might have not interacted with otherwise. It also improves the functioning of the immune system promotes exercise, and replaces loud city noises with quieter nature sounds, creating a more relaxed environment. Access to parks also supports exposure to sunlight, creates a cooler, more shaded environment, and all of these things together result in real, tangible health benefits, such as improved mental health, reduced mortality, and some other less obvious benefits to health. If, if you are in a green environment, and, and the University of Wollongong, the Power Lab, have done a lot of work on this, they've indicated that a 30% increase in canopy cover can have a, a positive impact on um, live birth weight of babies for, for pregnant women. There's multiple research studies that have found that women feel a lot safer exercising in parks than in the street, and that green spaces influence cognitive development in children. Access to parks and other green spaces can reduce health inequalities related to income deprivation. There is a world of evidence of how parks positively influence health. And a lot more is developing and evolving as we learn more from the pandemic and the relationships between the built environment and our bodies and our minds. And that's what, with the government, we're to convince them it's not an investment in a park, it's also an investment in their health system because it reduces the need for the health system, saves them money in that one, put it in the other. So it's preventative medicine. And of course, it's not just any public space that has all of this potential and all of these benefits. There's something very special about the nature elements of parks that although we've studied it a lot, it still has an almost whimsical quality to it. Parks like revitalize your sense of adventure and I think that's very valuable and everybody knows that parks give you like this nature fix that we need from living in you know hectic cities so I think this is a big opportunity not only for children it's it's necessary for children but it's necessary for everyone because it's in our inner self just uh, this need to be in contact with nature and uh, and just feel that freedom that parks can give you parks give you a nature fix. There are many people's introductions to what nature is and what it can be. And in a world that is in desperate need of larger conservation efforts, these experiences, this first connection to nature, is crucial. 
It's a beautiful example of what's called commoning. So it's not a pri necessarily private ownership, like you have a garden, or it's not necessarily a complete public ownership. It's a combination of this. So it's the often a municipality, um, or maybe a private owner can as well have a park, eh? a big castle park. In Europe you have all these castles with beautiful uh, areas around it. This is Marian Stiver, head of Green Cities program and a social scientist at Wageningen University. Marian has written extensively about symbiotic cities, which are cities that commune and are one with nature. And as Marian points out, parks are essential components in the creation of these symbiotic cities. But the people that enter the park, um, live with the park, they co-own it, and that's called commoning. So. Uh, they have a crucial um, effect on people's perception of what nature is, because not everybody has the capacity to go to all biodiversity hotspots in the world. Yeah. Um, so if you, through your parks, can let people really experience and live with all types of, of values of nature, as I explained, also the intrinsic value of mm -hmm. nature, they also get, well, at, first of all, they get more healthy. It's really proven that, that being in nature is, is very good for people's well-being. But also, it's very important, the element of experience is important. So if you look at a tree, it does not have the same effect on your well-being than if you are standing under it and experience what's, what's happening in the tree. So parks are, of course, a place of abundance of experiences people can have with nature. Experiences matter. And as cities grow larger and it becomes more difficult to access untouched wilderness, parks can help citizens grow a deeper connection to nature, and in doing so, to become active advocators of green spaces, both in and out of cities, for their environmental and their climate benefits as well. So the opportunity here in terms of conserving nature is about being able to help address and mitigate some of the harms that we know uh, come from climate change. This is Julie Brissy, manager of the new National Urban Parks Program at Parks Canada. Uh, we know that in urban centres uh, they can create heat islands, our, mm. our cities are very hot and so by increasing the tree canopy mm. you're able to lower the temperature in cities by, by a few degrees. We know that flooding is a major risk that comes from climate change as well, and so there are opportunities to have better water management through urban parks and to help mitigate the risk of, risks of flooding. There are also opportunities in terms of um, helping address soil quality, uh, maintain um, our riverbanks and prevent erosion, those types of um, kind of gains in terms of the conserving and protecting nature, as well as the, the uh, biodiversity loss uh, that we know exists in, in urban centers where species um, are at risk in, in urban settings particularly. They, they aren't able to, to move around as much and, and so increasing the connectivity by creating green spaces that connect with one another uh, will help address um, hopefully some of those uh, key threats that we see from a, from a nature perspective. Climate change is creating additional environmental stressors for cities and urban settings around the world. And its effects are already being felt at a local level. And although its solutions are systemic and involve almost every single sector of modern societies, there is growing recognition that parks are a very important part of the climate solution. First, 
because urban vegetation absorbs carbon, and by doing so, it can help mitigate CO2 emissions that are produced primarily in cities. And parks can also help us adapt to the effects of climate change by doing all of the things Julia mentioned, such as cooling urban heat islands and minimizing flooding, harvesting rainwater, and increasing biodiversity. As we seek to create more sustainable communities, parks can become meeting grounds for education and for raising awareness. They can become community gardens where people grow their food and compost their scraps to reduce urban waste. They can strengthen communities and help build urban resilience. I could honestly talk about this all day, and we will. We have plenty more to come. But these basic reasons alone should serve as sort of a cover letter for parks, if you may. After all, parks today, like always, are seriously underfunded. But their role in society just keeps growing. And this means they have to compete with basic services like sanitation and road infrastructure. And it can be easy to pit them against other public expenditures like health, like education, like mobility when, in reality, they're an integral part of these public services. And that is where park advocates have to come in. I firmly believe that park advocates walk among us every single day, um, even if they don't have official park titles. And what I mean by that is that my work with the community is to find and understand what is your love language. So your love language could be the coast, the ocean, animals, sea life, aquariums. Another person's love language might be um, foresting, gardening, um, horticultural activities. Another person's love language or passion might be recreation, sports, fitness. Another person's uh, love language might be conservation, um, preservation of the land. Um, another person's might be transportation and biking or running through parks and having access to trails. So all of us, whether we think about it or not, probably have some love language that is tied back to our park system. And it's important for us to tap into each one of those passions and desires so that we can get people to uh, invest in those areas. And when you start doing that, it's like building, you know, it's a fabric that comes together of building this sort of quilt, this multi-layer, multi-faceted um, park system that can speak to a little bit of something for everyone. When I close my eyes, I can still see those giant aguaguetes from my childhood. And although I've moved countless times and fallen in love with more parks than I've fallen in love with people, that first experience, that first nature fix has stuck with me ever since. And it's definitely made me want to help other people experience that same rush, that aha moment, like Jane Miller would say. And the way to get there is, of course, with more and better parks. This marks the end of today's episode of Pod Parks. Keep up with our upcoming episodes where we'll explore why cities should actually be designed for children. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review to help us reach more park enthusiasts and park advocates from around the world. 
And if you want to connect with like-minded individuals and you don't know where to start, visit worldurbanparks.org. We have a huge community of diverse park professionals that are so eager to connect and join forces in promoting the world of parks. So what's your love language? How do parks speak to you? Thank you for listening to Pod Parks by World Urban Parks. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landin, produced by Vitoria Martin and Luis Roman, sound engineering by Vladimir Yanez. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our online community has for you. Get out, explore, connect. <laughs>